It's fall here on our burgeoning Brooklyn commune. At our last group meeting, we agreed to let new member Ennis handle the decorative gourds. Oh, perhaps we should have checked references or asked a few probing questions because Ennis, while being shockingly gifted at the securing of an enormous variety of squashes, is also perhaps a bit fixated on finding those that resemble people parts, specifically naughty parts. I fear our little community is not winning any friends with our display outside, which one of our neighbors has already labeled an orchard of depravity, and has prompted the older lady across the street to loudly call out, Happy Halloween to me whenever she sees me taking out the trash. It's enough to make me want to run away and join a traveling band of intellectuals and spiritualists like the Chautauqua Circuit, or maybe join a circus. In fact, we talk about that impulse to slink off to the big top when we open up the portal this week and venture into the deep night. Oh, friends, communes aren't easy. It's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm so pleased to be your guru, guide, and person most likely to be next to an empty seat on a hayride for another hour of regrets and revelations here on The Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus, and you can tell it's fall along the Gowani because the surface of the canal is positively alive with activity, lots of pulsing and rippling going on. And due to the proximity of an artificial flavoring plant just nearby, whose runoff goes directly into the canal, they're the cutest little eruptions that happen with great regularity. Little geysers sending plumes of the usual toxic smoke mixed with notes of pumpkin spice into the air. It's a sickly sweet smell that suggests both extreme danger and overwhelming comfort. And to make things extra spooky, someone has placed one of those 12-foot Home Depot skeletons in the canal directly under the Carroll Street Bridge. At least I hope that's what happened. Folks, this is my birthday week, which is always a special time, and thank you for all the cards and virtual well wishes. It's meant so much. Thank you also to whoever uh, sent me a box of combs. That's such a lovely gift. The odd thing about celebrating a birthday during this year of 2020 is that you really feel the aging process, don't you? Oh, my goodness. So it was nice this week to find a little diversion from the constant thoughts of impending doom and mortality to speak with my guest this week, the actor, director, and writer, Britt Lauer. Now, you may know Britt from her appearances on shows like High Maintenance, Man-Seeking Woman, Casual, Future Man, or the cult classic series Big Lake. She always brings a performance that is radiant, intensely felt, and true. And we've been trying to figure out a time to have her on for ages because I had this sense that there was this real artistry behind her work, and I'm so pleased that it finally worked out to welcome her to talk about that and many other things in the deep night. She has a new film out, right now called Circus Person, 
which is circulating once again through film festivals across the country. The film is uh, really beautiful and a rare bit of business that draws on Brit's considerable acting skills as well as her talents as a visual artist, it's emotional and visual, and in a moment when lots of things seem dark and overwhelming, it's a very seductive thing because that impulse to run away, even briefly, <laughs> is very appealing. So let's go to our conversation now uh, with the talented and generous Brit Lauer. Brit Lauer, welcome to the deep night. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, it took a little bit of doing, but uh, uh, congratulations on the new film Circus Person. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but I gather you've been on the road uh, these past few weeks. I have. I drove from Los Angeles to New York in 27 days in a camper. Well, that seems like a very nice pace and uh, <laughs> allowing you to see uh, a lot of the country. Were there things that you had not seen before? Well, I saw the Grand Canyon for the second time, but I don't remember seeing it the first time because I was so young. Oh, sure. Yeah. So. Well, just a, a, immense beauty, I imagine. I have not been there. Yeah. It, I, I actually got a little bit of vertigo imagining, so. imagining, you know, catapulting down the canyon. My imagination, you know, got the best of me at one moment and I had to sit down for a while. Yes, I feel that way on the second floor of the mall sometimes, just looking over the railing. I get a little really? bit dizzy and nervous. I do. I don't like heights very much, and I always imagine being thrust over the edge. Oh, no. At the mall? Well, any any height. Oh, <laughs> Anything oh, ne okay. next to a ledge. But even <laughs> a second story is, is enough to get me going. Um, but, you know, that uh, sounds very appealing, uh, going across the country and being out and camping. My gosh, beneath the stars. Uh, <laughs> sounds lovely. Uh, I haven't been out in so long, and now I'm starting to worry I'll just never do it. I'll never leave again. Uh, your house? Yeah. Uh, well, you could. <laughs> you could. <laughs> well, that's um, encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's about to be winter, so there's no more camping to be had on the East Coast anyway. So, you know, yes. maybe just continue burrowing until spring. Well, that's the plan. In fact, uh, uh, we've been uh, starting a project here that I want to ask you about, and, and then we'll get into it. But because uh, uh, okay. it seems like out of everybody who's ever been on this show, uh, you might be the person most likely to say yes <laughs> to, the oh, answer, no. uh, to this question. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Britt, would you be interested in joining my new commune? <laughs> oh, well, I need to hear some more information about it. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's just this apartment building. Uh, we've oh. noticed that most everybody has left New York. Uh, so mm -hmm. we're just trying to inhabit it with creative people. And you may even hear some of the dogs next door, or the piano player upstairs float in as we're recording. But, uh, you know, we're looking for a really great community starting. And I think you'd have a lot to offer. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all about community, for sure. Commune, See, I, I, I have never participated in one necessarily. Really? But but I do, they have a certain appeal. See, certainly, if they don't tip for... over, <laughs> certainly if they don't tip over into uh, cult territory. Uh, you know, that there's, is there's the a, danger. There's a fine line. 
<laughs> oh, I know it well. Uh, but, <laughs> but I feel like uh, maybe it's based on the characters you play, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, that you would be okay with a kind of bread and puppet situation, that you'd be okay <laughs> in a field, you know, making some bread around a fire, uh, doing some kind of political agitprop with uh, making puppets. <laughs> I really love that, that you're, I love that, yes. I love that you are supposing that about me. <laughs> well, it's it's a it made me realize it's a tricky thing uh, with this business of show uh, because you have to be very economical in how you present yourself on the screen or the mm-hmm. stage about being who you are on camera, and some little part of you has to sneak through and get in there. Totally. And uh, I feel like I know a very specific Brit through the characters that you portray on the screen. I love that. I mean, certainly, I grew up I grew up in a small town. I was like an odd girl in a small town, 20 minutes south of a bigger town called Normal, Illinois. And I grew up playing basketball and climbing trees. And on the weekends, I would go and paint faces with my mom at local festivals, like you do. And so I kind of grew up in that, yeah, a little uh, bit of a communal festival atmosphere. And, you know, in between turning kids into cheetahs and butterflies, I would see folks, you know, making drums for a living and walking on tightropes and performing magic. And that, you know, for someone who grew up in a really small town, those experiences were what opened my mind to, wow, there are so many ways to live a life and so many ways to like pay for your groceries. Yes, a creative path is possible. Yeah. Yes. And w- w- with the festivals now, are we talking there's some crafts around? These are May Day festivals. These are harvest festivals. Any kind of thing? Yeah, pretty much all of the above. And not, not like a Burning Man type festival, although I have been to Burning Man once. Uh, yeah. These were, yeah, more like town festivals. Very, you know, the Apple and Pork Festival in Clinton, Illinois, where they you know, feature apple and pork products. Um, And then anything from, yeah, like a May Day festival to a Renaissance fair, where then you don a costume and, you know, say ye old a lot. Right, right. right. You have to paint a lot of jousting figures, (laughs) big uh, turkey legs on kids' faces, I imagine. Well, at that time, I wasn't as conceptual of a face painter, but yeah, I think nowadays maybe I would I would do something more like a paintscape. Those yes. days, my mom and I did a lot more like turning kids into animals or creatures. Or right, a lot of tigers, a lot of butterflies. Yeah, yeah. yes, uh, <laughs> that's a good. Those I are the those are the best hits. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yes. Best hits, uh, tigers and butterflies. <laughs> I'm sure by hour three you get into maybe jackals or maybe a specific kind of lemur, but uh, yes. you probably want to start with it. Yes, I understand. <laughs> uh, now, uh, uh, we we can talk maybe about a couple of the characters uh, that uh, I've seen you do over the years, and then we can move into the, the this really beautiful film that you have out and, and that character uh, in, in Circus Person. But I think we first talked about doing this show maybe... Uh, uh, while you were uh, on uh, Man Seeking Woman? Yeah. Is that the old show? Is that what it was called? Uh, and it. you were so great in that. And it had a kind of whimsy to it, which I really found appealing. Oh, thank you. Thank you for watching it. It was a kind of a niche 
show. Uh, there are a ton of people who loved it, but actually not a ton of people who saw it. But I think anyone who did see it was like, wow, it's got a real, that's got a real charm to it and a, a kind of style that I think Simon Rich, the creator of the show, really opened the doorway for a lot of these different shows that you're seeing that play with form. I think of yeah. Pen15, you know, Maya Erskine was on Man Seeking Woman, and of course, Pen15 is their own brainchild, but I feel like that kind of uh, shifting out of almost like a sketch form into a full narrative premise was uh, one of the brilliant things that Man Seeking Woman was was experimenting with. Yes, and everything has its uh, roots. We're all uh, impacted by everything that uh, flows around us and through us, doesn't it? So it's uh, no wonder that it would have then progeny out there, uh, creatively <laughs> speaking. Uh, but it was a, a really wonderful show, and your character got a chance to really build, uh, I, I thought, into kind of a tough character to somebody who had their own uh, wildness going on and her own uh, mm -hmm. interactions with things. Um, and then recently you had such a, a tender and honest character arc, I thought, on high maintenance uh and that seems like a very knowing a lot of the people involved in that show it seems like a very warm experience to be a part of mm, absolutely yeah was, oh, good good i'm yeah, glad it totally you're 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 uh, uh you're correct very warm <laughs> very <laughs> very communal um, yes you know like See, there's a, that word again there we go we should figure out the latin uh c-o-m Commune. What I wonder what the Latin definition of that is. To come together. To I don't know. To not be a cult. <laughs> to not to not be a cult. Um, yeah. Thank you for thank you for that. Tender is a is a nice is a nice word to describe a character and a performance. So thank you. I like I like hearing that. Oh, well, good. I liked watching it. <laughs> there was a sense, a sense that, uh, uh, and this is this kind of the version of Brit that I see, just uh, by, by what I what I know from your work, uh, is that uh, the characters seem very grounded, they seem very open, and uh, uh, maybe this is the kind of trick of it, that, that while they are grounded, they're still kind of ethereal and always searching for something, and I get the sense that maybe you just see the world differently, and you're not going to give that up no matter what else is going on, that you hold on to that. Is that true? Is that a true thing that comes oh, from within? It just makes me feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel very seen. Thank you. Um, yeah, I I think I am a very grounded person, and at the same time, I I have some tethers to the to the ether, um, and I I really attribute I think being being able to be an artist for my life as as this like the greatest opportunity to be exactly who I am and to do so unapologetically. Um, and to, gosh, I was just thinking about this before I, I got on the, on this call, this computer call with you, um, yes. that art is, is really about empathy and about putting yourself in someone else's perspective and I can't think actually of a better medicine for our time right now and maybe a whole lifetime. Maybe this human experience is, is you know, best lived with empathy. Um, and I, I'm just so grateful to, to 
be an artist and to have that lens as permission to to be empathetic. Yes, it's so important and so rare. And I was going to ask you if maybe how the pandemic had changed this outlook of wanting to see the world a little differently. But I think that's a, a very good point about empathy and how as people that uh, put things out there or, you know, artistically speaking, uh, you know, b being empathetic means kind of leaving the door open a little bit there for people to to come in and participate and to also experience what you're experiencing and to have some kind of shared uh, event happen through the work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's a real gift. And uh, to be, I, th I think you're absolutely right that the best art uh, does uh, uh, open oneself up and consider other people and leave space for other people, which is so rare in these it days. It takes courage. It takes courage. It does. You know, it Brene does. Brown always talks about vulnerability being like uh, courage. And one of my teachers uh, in school would always say, you know, your arms outstretched, you know, this is your strongest position, but it's also your most vulnerable because your, you know, your heart is just totally exposed. And I just often think about this gesture as, well, they're on a podcast, so you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm putting my arms. Yes, one wide can imagine. Open. Arms out. <laughs> arms listener out. at home, put your arms out as far as put they can arm. go. <laughs> yeah, and it's scary. Yeah. You know, even doing it right now, I'm like, oh, this is kind of scary. I'm doing a weird thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And making an unusual shape. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I always think whenever we make shapes with our, our forms, think about those blank spaces around us, too, and what's going on mm. there and what can be filled in there or not, and the value yeah. of empty space. But I've had my mushroom tinctures today, so I start to get a little... But as somebody who uh, has many interests and quite an extensive bit of history of performing and the visual arts, uh, it does seem, and we've talked about it here already, but it seems that you are drawn to that collaborative experience. And uh, even with uh, face painting, you could have chosen to paint on canvas, but it requires participation when you're doing mm. a face painting. And even that, where does that drive to be collaborative come from? Oh, gosh, you're really perceptive. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say thank you again. Um, yeah, face painting, it requires, uh, it's a participatory art. And much like filmmaking, you simply cannot do it alone. It would make very little sense. It would, it would be hard. It would be so hard. I mean, I could paint my own face, of course. Yes, but sure. I think the beauty of face painting is the interchange between people. And what I loved about making my first film, Circus Person, was that it did feel, to bring back that word again, it felt like a communal effort. Even though I was the writer and the director and I was acting in it, in a lot of ways it, it feels like it was made by a whole group of people. And that's what I loved about it. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and uh, does uh, well. What I was going to say: some of these collaborations uh, uh, can be quite intimate, uh, you know, as acting sometimes can be. But it seems that you're also drawn to the spectacular piece of that—a kind of explosion. Maybe that's uh, joy, or maybe that's just the reveal again of something magical in the world. That there's a potential for something uh, elevated to happen. Mm. I think that's right. 
I mean, growing up, okay, I was always good. drawn to match magical realism, uh, even in you know theater, but also in film. Like I'm thinking about um, big. I love the movie Big Fish. Uh, yes. I loved. Um, oh my gosh, now I'm. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was one of my favorite films. It was a formative film for me. That there was such real connection between the characters, but then set in the backdrop of this allegory, this beautiful visual spectacle that's rooted in the the human experience, I think. As you're saying that, it strikes me that I, I don't know if sometimes as actors and things, we have to take what's given to, you know, you take the job as you get it, but it seems like you've been miraculously able to kind of pursue exactly what you're talking about with all of these projects, that there is this kind of through line of a little bit of magical thinking, uh, of human connectedness, of uh, our true experience through. So that's quite a, quite a feat to do. Oh, I, you know, I wish I could say I've been, I've been able to select all of my, my jobs. I haven't been quite that fortunate. I think in reverse, I've been fortunate that those projects have been the ones interested in me. And I don't know if that's the chicken or the egg kind of situation, but um, yeah, I think it's been, it's kind of showed, it's revealed itself to me as opposed to the other way around. Cause um, yeah, like you said, as actors, we, we get so many no's <laughs> before there's the yes. And oftentimes you can't predict when that, when that yes will come or what it will be. And when I have had the opportunity to, you know, to seek out projects, it's um, been fewer and farther between than the ones that, you know, seem to come through. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Well, that was a weird sentence. I just formed a weird sentence. That's all I do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Stock and trade, weird sentences. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> no, I know what you're talking It was clear to me. Uh, okay, so, good. Uh, that, that counts for something. Now, uh, but this idea that there is a, a magical thing, that there is something uh, beyond us. It, you were obviously drawn to the circus. Where does the circus sit for you uh, in your person? Is that a source of a happy memory? Is it just this idea that there is something beyond? Is it a, an appealing lifestyle? Mm. Yeah, all of the above. I, I've always been fascinated by the, um, the life of the circus performer. And I think it was seeded when I was, you know, on breaks from face painting with my mom, I would see performers, you know, with a slack line and they would be traveling the festival circuit as, you know, tightrope walking jugglers. And um, there was a a romance to it for me of running away with the circus, so to speak. And actually a moment in my life um, in college, I was, you know, studying theater and like art with a capital A at Northwestern. And then in the summertime, I was traveling around with my mom, uh, face painting. And the juxtaposition of these working class artists who were really making their life from um, out of making art uh, in a different way than I was learning about art in a university. That, yeah, it just really, it really struck a chord within me. I think at, at one point I actually did want to kind of run away. Yeah, off the grid. Sure. 
<laughs> yes. Well, there there is a, uh, something that's uh, beautiful about highlighting the the work of working class artists uh, because mm-hmm. it's so uh, it can be very invisible. I think mm-hmm. um, that that there's a whole class of people who don't pursue it maybe for the same reasons of art world, you know, big big timey uh, kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But that it comes from a very pure place, and they're of course as skilled as many of the people that are in the museums and all that. But um, it's something that's always I always am drawn to. Uh, People who are great craftspeople, who are great artisans, who can do uh, do the work. But of course, the circus has uh, um, uh, been a preoccupation of a lot of the high art kind of a th- mm-hmm. uh, world too. Then there's and maybe mm-hmm. when the circus had more prominence in our culture and was more of an activity, I think uh, you of course have Calder's famous uh, wire circus at the at the Whitney. Uh, there's lots of surrealists that have incorporated that imagery, um, mm-hmm. and then you have you know great great works of film, Wings of Desire. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all the way back to Charlie Chaplin or things like that, too. Um, uh, so uh, it's interesting that you have also held both of these things and you're still drawn uh, to this circus. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank images. you for mentioning Wings of Desires. One of one of my favorite films, the, the DP on our film, was he and I actually really bonded over that film and how we wanted to celebrate circus through, you know, a, a more modern uh, kind of approach, um, but that was a touchstone film for me for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, so many, so many painters have taken on the circus. You know, uh, Degas. Um, one of my favorite painters' her name is Laura Knight. She was known as the circus painter because she traveled around with these local circuses in England, and then I think, I think maybe she came to the U.S. and traveled with some as well. Um, she's mo- most notably uh, remembered because she was one of the first women to be inducted into the um, Royal Academy of Art, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. And she did this beautiful painting of the Nuremberg Trials. And she just has this, yeah, she just traveled with a circus and, and made these beautiful paintings of of circus performers. The circus to the Nuremberg Trials, pretty decent span. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a close a, observation, amazing. I imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, it reminds me that, uh, you know, injecting a little darkness there, it reminds me that uh, mm-hmm. we had the Spotify app going the other day here at the home, and uh, Peggy Lee's song, uh, Is That All There Is, came on. And uh, that it reminded me that the circus does have also this this just seeping darkness around it as well in the popular culture. That's so wild. I heard that song for the first time like two weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) I had to play it again because when it came to the circus part, I just, I stopped what I was doing and I was like, I have to listen to this song again. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. I think some of the later recordings are really great too. Gets a little loose. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Were you also drawn to that dark piece of it, too? or You didn't know that song, but I mean, that's always, if you go to like Todd Browning and go into that kind of a thing, uh, there is that piece to it. You were keeping mm-hmm. it lighter within the film, although there's some emotional mm-hmm. stuff that's being worked out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. so this film is a part of a, a longer series of stories that I'd like to tell about the circus. Um it was, 
extracted from a, a feature film that I've written, but it's actually transforming into, I think, a film anthology series where you'll have different protagonists for each short film. And yeah, I think what's beautiful about the circus is that it does hold, um, yeah, this depth of tragedy, uh, oftentimes, and historically speaking, and has a, also a troubled history, you know, in terms of a lot of things. Um, but it also, at the same time, has this wonderment and sense of transporting you out of the everyday into an elevated experience. And I, I find it beautiful that it holds both of those dynamics. It really does, because you have this sort of lightness of somebody, and you could choose to focus on this part of it, of walking across the tightrope, high above a feet, you know, and magical, and in a, a white uh, leotard, resplendent and sparkles, and, uh, you know, the great skill that's required. But also there's the very real idea that that person could fall to their death and mm -hmm. uh, be done, and that it's hard work to get even from one town to the next, and there's not a lot of money, and they, I mean, it holds yeah. everything. <laughs> within it too totally. and uh, this the story itself in the film uh, you have somebody who's uh, a woman who's escaping uh, to the circus really i mean it's uh, running away to to join them uh, uh, and uh, uh, that feels very appropriate to the current moment where sometimes i'd like to just sink down in a tub mm -hmm. and then get get the heck out of here and uh, you know do some painting on my body uh, <laughs> just focus on anything else uh <laughs> <laughs> but um, there really are some beautiful images in the film, and uh, you're able to let your paintings and your skill uh, inform a lot of the scenes that uh, both give a sense of the inner life of the character and what's happening. Uh, that must have mm. been uh, terribly satisfying to, to be able to be fully engaged in that way. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I think in the vein of the message of the film, which is like heartbreak is the permission that you need to do something for no particular reason other than you want to. And this making of the film was kind of, you know, the heartbreak that began the journey for me personally, then gave me the permission to make this film that I'd always wanted. I'd always wanted to direct something first most and to begin telling this story about circus artists, um, in this, the way that I saw it in my brain, which was very multifaceted. It was like, I don't know how to explain this to people unless I just make it. Like, even if I wrote this script out, it, which I did, <laughs> um, I did write the script. I wrote a script. Uh, it was impossible to explain. I couldn't, I couldn't have handed this script to any other person it would have been a totally different film depending on who I, I gave it to. And right. uh, I think that was what was so liberating about it was like, wow, I get to make all of these decisions and, um, you know, surrounded and supported by this great team. It was awesome. It was life changing. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for the anthology to develop too. That's a, an intriguing take on it that uh, uh, seems to, to, to be very uh, of the moment and very uh, exciting. So uh, I look forward to, to that. Um, and I, you know, I viewed it uh, whenever we talked the first time about doing this. Uh, I viewed it, I think, within the context of global pandemic and being trapped inside. But there's many points in, in our lives where we feel like either you've 
had something happen or you just feel like you're at a point where you need to have that escape, release, get out, mm-hmm. go sleep in a, a pod under the stars <laughs> of the Grand Canyon. Uh, but uh, I, I yeah. think it can, uh, I don't want to tie it too much just to this moment, but certainly that was the context in which I watched it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it would speak to a lot of people. Um, is there anything specific about uh, maybe working with circus performers up close, doing that kind of work yourself that has impacted your the way you approach acting? Hmm. Well, what, what comes to mind is the incredible discipline of circus performers, uh, just they practice and they train all of the time. It's so inspiring. And they're risk takers, you know, they're calculated risk takers. So they couple this incredible bravery with a discipline, a daily practice. And I, I think it's an incredible way to approach being an artist. Yes. I agree. I once uh, did a little video thing and I had to, we worked with some circus artists and uh, I had to pull myself up into one of the liras, the the hoops. And my gosh, uh, I thought I was going to die in that that moment. You really- I would uh, love to see that. (laughs) Oh, I'll send you a link. But uh, it's uh, anybody who can sort of effortlessly sail through the air and that has to take discipline. It probably also takes maybe a few- uh, f- fewer meatball subs than, <laughs> than I'm oh. involved in, but uh, it was difficult. To, <laughs> but anyhow, uh, <laughs> I just have well, great admiration it, for the skill. They make it look effortless, and of course, there's yes. incredible effort being put put forth. At least maybe before you've seen the act, but even in the <laughs> act, you know, a lot of I traveled around with some small circuses uh, prior to filming this. Um, filming this piece and uh, one of the performers said to me, it's funny, he's like, the audience will often think, uh, you'll get the biggest applause for a, for a performance or, or for an act or a trick that's actually very simple. And then the hardest one that you've done, they w- it won't look like it's hard to them. And so you'll get like a kind of mediocre response. And he's like, it, it happens like that a lot with magic and with, aerial stunts or juggling. It's like the easy thing that you think is so simple. That's the one that's the crowd pleaser. Yeah. I've heard that about tap dancing too. I think really? Charles Honey Coles, I think that's if that's who I'm thinking of. He said just the walk where you could walk across the stage and make the tap. That was really complicated, but but it just looked like he was gliding across and making a few taps. But he said he worked so hard on just that one thing. But once you get that's the beautiful. arms going and whatever else, yeah. Um, and uh, a good reminder to, to root yourself uh, in some of the basics and to mm. pay attention to what's happening and put in a little bit of the... Uh, to achieve a little bit of that discipline. <laughs> I know I can use yeah. it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Me too. So, uh, yes. But a lot of people now are going to have a chance to see the film this month because it's in a lot of festivals. Is that right? Yeah, it's playing uh, at Nashville Film Festival, uh, the 1st through the 7th. Then uh, Mill Valley Film Festival from the 8th to the 18th. And then yep. L.A. Shorts from the 19th to the... 30th, I think. So every single day this month, except for the 31st, <laughs> you'll be able to see it somewhere online. I, I think all of these festivals are not geo-blocked. So uh, I, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure you could see it from anywhere in the world 
if you want to go oh. to their festival and, and buy a ticket and uh, participate online. I'm going to start geo-blocking some things. I hadn't heard that term before. <laughs> I know, it's kind of <laughs> crazy, like right? You can yeah, only yeah. watch this if you're in Hayworth, Illinois, <laughs> which is my hometown. <laughs> oh, oh, well, a shout-out to Hayworth. And, uh, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give a shout-out to Mill Valley. I, I went uh, to couples counseling there for a good long time. So, uh, you did? Hello to all, all of our friends in uh, <laughs> Mill Valley. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yes, we saw a guy above a Safeway had a little practice there with my oh. first wife. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's so nice. Great. Yeah, great fun. Good for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Now, uh, I think is I there saw a website? that same therapist. Oh, really? <laughs> I tried to make a joke there. It didn't work. <laughs> oh, it worked for me. Uh, he's lovely. I finally just paid him uh, all the money. <laughs> I, anyway, uh, so is there a website that is not geo-blocked and available for everybody to get all the information about the film and these festivals? Yeah, believe it or not, I got the website circusperson.com. Good for you. <laughs> Pretty good. Nobody else wanted it. That's amazing. <laughs> well, that's good. So people can go there. Um Great. Well, Britt, this I also is got the Instagram great. handle Circus Person. Just oh, well, at Circus Person. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good things happen. Uh, well, Britt, this has just been fantastic. Uh, I'm glad we could finally do this after so many what feels like years, because it was years. <laughs> it was. I mean, good things are good things are worth the wait. This was such Abs this was such a joy. Thank you for being uh, so great. <laughs> of course, thank you. I remain a great fan of your work. I look forward to seeing what comes next. Uh, so continued success to you. Thank you so much. You too. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you another time. <laughs> okay. Bye. Oh, my goodness. I I'm so glad that worked out. Can you tell... Oh, it was just a wonderful conversation, and I'm so thankful to Britt. But here's a couple of deep uh, uh, notes, <laughs> deep night notes here for you to follow up on. Wings of Desire, Essential Viewing, check out that film. And then the sequel, Far Away So Close, which came out much later, uh, both by Vim Vendors. Uh, I viewed them in reverse order, and I don't know if I would recommend that, but choose your own adventure, you be you. Uh, they're both lyrical, they both uh, concern life and death and angels and allegories, and both feature the great actor Bruno Gange. Now, a little-known item here for all of you true denizens of the deep night, a little bit of trivia for you. I worked with Bruno San Daniel, who's a gifted musician and one of the most gentle souls I've ever known. Now, speaking of music, we reference Peggy Lee in this episode, and uh, this is, uh, of all the moments, it's a good one to revisit Peggy Lee's 1969 album, uh, Is That All There Is? And uh, the title track from that, uh, just phenomenal, but the whole album, uh, the, the pacing of the thing, is uh, looping, uh, circus-like. It's uh, as if you've been uh, strapped to a carousel and you're not getting off. Now, P.J. Harvey in the 90s covered Is That All There Is on an album with John Parrish. And if there's a more haunting version of that song, I don't know it. <laughs> All right, do yourself a favor. A couple of dark recommendations for staring out the window during a global pandemic. Oh, fun. 
Now, look, this show uh, uh, remains sponsor-free, and we're doing fine, so I'm not complaining. But I do want to uh, shine instead of, uh, you know, uh, talking up something where I get money for it. I just want to talk about something that uh, came across the desk here that I think you should know about in the Deep Night Spotlight. Uh, Another creative endeavor out there, a fine book about magical companions, or uh, what they're known as familiars. And the book is called Unfamiliar Familiars, out from Chronicle Books. It's out now, uh, written and illustrated by friend of the program, Justin Devine and uh, Megan Lynn Cott. Now, Justin has come through with lots of wonderful posters for us over the years. Uh, a great illustrator, and uh, knowing that I dabble in the mystic arts, he sent a copy of the book to me, uh, which is just lovely. And uh, I read it. It's fantastic. Uh, very helpful in finding the perfect fuzzy or slimy or feathery companion for the established witch or aspiring warlock. And uh, I'll tell you this, it's a great gift book. We got the holidays. They're coming up. They're going to happen. And, <laughs> and this book is just uh, beautiful, funny, uh, uh, touching. It gets the deep night seal of approval. All right. So, uh, and again, check out Circus Person. Find it where you can. Uh, you'll be rewarded for doing so. It's at a lot of the festivals throughout this month of October. And then you can visit circusperson.com to find out more. Locate Britain. Uh, the project on Instagram, follow what's happening there. Uh, and just again, my thanks to Brit for, for making some time and for joining us in the deep night. Friends, that'll do it for us. <laughs> I need to go throw some PG-13 signs up around the front fence. A reminder, if you or someone you know wants to join our commune experiment in New York City, send us an email at dellradio gmail.com. Till next time, I encourage you to plan your vote, wear a mask, Maintain your distance and remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Cadus of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Beleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at Seaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance. <laughs>